Well, I'm going to tell you a little truth about me, and uh, th- I don't think you'll find this hard to believe at all, but I am, I've discovered this about myself, I am a profiler. I'm a profiler. I look at people and I profile them. Now, before you start judging me and saying, well, that's really, that's wrong, let's just acknowledge that that is all of us. Can we acknowledge that? We are profilers. We look at people. I don't wake up in the morning and go, today's a good day to profile people, to really slot them into a place and say they're this, that. But I just do it without even thinking. I do it sort of naturally. I'm like, I look at, I look at somebody and go, well, he's a this and she's a that. And, and you, 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 sometimes you do it by look, sometimes you do it by behavior. But you look at somebody and you tend to slot them. You put them into a place. You profile them. But if my 60-plus years have taught me anything about myself, it is that I am a lousy profiler. I'm terrible at it, actually, because I will think this thing about a person, but then if I get to know them a little bit, what I'll discover is, is that I have completely or totally or at least partially incorrectly profiled them. And, and I'll give you an example. This is, this is my son-in-law. His name is Adam, and I love Adam, and Adam's been now in the family for, he, he married our oldest daughter, Beth, and, and Adam's a great guy. But when I first met Adam, Again, I wasn't trying to. I wasn't even thinking about it. I just slotted him. I just looked at him and said, he's your typical guy. He's your classic guy guy. I mean, he's crass at, at certain levels, you know, and, and he's, uh, <clears throat> you know, often kind of insensitive to things that people from a more feminine perspective might be sensitive to, emotions or feelings. He just, I mean, I, I kind of, within about five minutes, you know, I'd profile him as your classic knuckle-dragging male. Now, from me, that's a compliment, all right? You need to understand that's not an insult. I just thought he's a man's man, that, you know, that, that's what it is. But now, as the years have gone by, I've gotten to know pieces of Adam that I never thought were there. And sometimes they've been a little troubling to me. For example, Adam loves flowers, And I know some of you think this is wrong, but in my mind, that's not very manly to love flowers and to be into flowers. And and he and my wife, this is the truth about my son-in-law, Adam, who I thought was a guy guy, you know. They will spend endless amounts of time talking about when you should deadhead plants and when you should prune them back and when you should plant them and how you should deal. And I listen to this stuff, and it's like a foreign language to me. And it just seems, you know, for a guy, it seems, I mean... Yeah, again, I'm probably wrong, but it seems a little feminine, and I'm not sure how, how, how good that is. And, 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 and I kind of decided maybe that explains why all he's given me for grandchildren are girls. I'm not sure if that really... I'm just joking, of course. The thing that I learned with Adam is I can't profile the guy. This is a thing that I've learned with every human being I've ever met is I can't profile them because the more you get to know them, the more you see things that you never knew were there. Come on, you all know what I'm talking about? We look at people and we say, well, he's a or she's a or whatever it is, but you really can't profile them because there's all these unique things about them. And so often that's the way it is in life. Things are not what they appear. You look and you think one thing, but really in the end what you see is something entirely different. Now, Jesus has an encounter with a young man who comes to him with a request. And this is the exact kind of story of that very thing happening. We'll pick this up. This is found in Mark chapter 10. And Jesus, he starts on his way and it says, a man ran up to him and he fell on his knees before him. Now that's key. He falls on his knees before him. He says, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus says, well, why do you call me good? No one's good except God alone. You know the commandments. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not give false testimony. You shall not defraud. You shall honor your father and mother. 
And then the guy replies and says, teacher, all these I have kept since I was a boy. And Jesus looked at him and what? He loved him. So Jesus says, one thing you lack. Go sell everything you have, give it to the poor, and you'll have treasure in heaven, and then come follow me. And at this, the man's face fell. And he went away, sad, because he had great wealth. And Jesus looked around, and he said to his disciples, how hard it is for the rich to enter the kingdom of God. And the disciples are amazed at his words, but Jesus said it again. Children, how hard it is to enter the kingdom of God. Now, this is a very fascinating story because, basically, this guy seems like such a winner. I mean, we don't know that much about him because it's a very short story, and there's only so much that we're told about him. But there's a couple things that can tell us enough that we can make some reasonable assumptions. First of all, this guy was well-to-do. We know that. He was rich. He had money. And in that culture, rich people were, as in almost all cultures, they were highly respected. In fact, if you remember reading it, we just read it. When Jesus said how hard it is for the rich to enter the kingdom of God, it said the disciples were, does anybody remember? They were amazed at this because, if, because rich people clearly have the blessing of God. They're somebody. So he had money. He had respect. And then we know that he was a pretty darn good guy because when Jesus quotes all these commandments to him, he says, you know, you know the commandments. The guy says, I've kept this stuff from childhood. And Jesus didn't argue that with him. In fact, it says Jesus looked at him and he did what? He loved him. This is a remarkable thing, really. So we know that this guy was a guy that had money. Clearly, he's a guy that, with a pretty decent personality, uh, probably not real arrogant because he'd kept these commands. Jesus didn't argue. This is a good guy. This is probably hardworking, just a wonderful guy. I mean, he's like the total package. He is a winner. Except because we read the rest of the story, we know that not everything is as it looks. And that actually he is not a winner. Actually, in the end, he was a loser. And I think this carries some really important things to think about. I think it actually clarifies some things. See, what we think is winning so often in our lives, and I want you to hear this now, this is so important, what we think winning is, oh, I won that, I did that, I got that accomplished, I won in this area or that area. What we think winning is often, in the end, it isn't. You fight really hard to, to see that checkered flag. In fact, you know, on the way in, you were handed a flag. Would you just pull that flag out for a second? I want you to say, everybody just wave it, all right? Let's just wave it, look like silly people, all right, yeah. This is the best part of the service for me right here, looking at all you make yourselves look silly. All right, that's fine. I had people last night who kept waving it for the longest time, all right? You just kind of, that's good for right now. But you want to see the checkered flag. You work at something. I mean, you work really hard at it. You go after it, and you get it accomplished. You get that job. You get that thing you wanted, whatever it is. And then you knocked yourself out to do it. You saw the checkered flag. You're like, yay, I won. But then... It's like something in you knows, I'm not sure I really did win. I'm not sure I really did get where I wanted to go in the end. And I think almost everybody listening to me talk here online or other campuses, you, you know what I'm talking about because you both experienced it and you've seen it happen in others' lives. For example, a friend of yours, a very good friend of yours, does something that offends you in some way. Maybe they didn't even know they did it, or maybe they did it accidentally or whatever, but they offended you, and you went to them, and you confronted them with it, and you talked to them about it, and they kind of responded like, whoa, whoa, wait a minute, wait a minute, I didn't. But you had the great arguments, and you had them all down pat, and you pushed, you 
You were so convincing and so good. You won the argument. But you lost your friend. And you did not win. You worked really hard to get that job. It's been posted and that was a dream job for you. If I could just get that. And you get it, you win. You saw the flag wave in front of you and you're like, yes, I got the job. And you're euphoric for a while until you realize you're in so far over your head you don't even know how you're gonna do this job. Or maybe you realize this is work that I actually hate and I don't even wanna go into the office or into the shop or wherever it is that I do this work. And you thought you won, but you really didn't. Maybe you earn the respect and honor of people. A lot of us, we spend a lot of our lives just doing stuff so that people will look at us and go, yeah, you're something, you're real. and you earn it, and people tell you how good you are, and you have people around you saying, you are such a success, you, 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 you've done so well, and you actually, this is a very dangerous place to be. You start to believe it a little bit. You start to believe those things people tell you, that you're really something. You'd never say it out loud because it wouldn't sound humble, but you actually start to think that you're just a little bit above everybody else which, of course, sets you up for a fall. You want to know my experience? I've both worked with and followed people that I would have described as absolute winners. And yet, before their game was even close to over, they tagged out, and they were not winners. They were not winners. Or maybe, maybe you reached the the peak of what everyone thinks is total success, total win. You become incredibly famous and as a result wealthy and your influence goes far and wide and people love the accomplishments that have happened in your life and you're known by entire cultures, you're known. And then we only hear these stories sort of in the aftermath. But you realize that everything you'd hoped it would be, it was not and you slid further and further into despair until you became emotionally so sick inside that you ended your life. And you know these stories. You know these stories. You've seen them. People that we know, that we've been influenced by, that we've watched and thought, man, now there's a person who's an amazing success. And yet in the end, they did not find their own life worthy of keeping. They would not have told you that they were winners. See, I think, I think there's a question to be asked here which is really important. If real winning isn't any of the things that I just talked about, if it's not making more money, if it's not getting the accolades of people, if it's not some great accomplishment or feat, you become really good at this thing or that thing, if it's not all that stuff, if that's not really winning in the end, what is winning? What does it even mean to really win? And I think it's a question that we should ask ourselves. We should think about it because we go through life kind of taking our temperature on a regular basis. Am I winning? Am I doing okay? How am I doing in life? And I think we need to ask that question. What does a real win even look like for us? And I know some of you are going, dude, here's my answer to you. I'm not even trying to win anything, all right? I'm just trying to get by. That's all I'm doing. I'm not trying to win anything. I would respectfully disagree. I would respectfully disagree. I actually think you are trying to win something. I think all of us are. Now, this is my opinion, and you can take it for what it's worth, but I think basically most of the time we're going to fall in one of two camps when it comes to this idea of of chasing wins. The first one is, camp one would be that we're chasing a significant win. 
Now, this is something where you say, I want to become very successful in my particular career. I want to make good money. I want to have a nice house. Maybe you're saying, I want to be the best mother you could ever be. It doesn't matter what it is, but to you, it is a significant thing. You know what the checkered flag looks like for you, and you're driving towards that thing because you want to be able to get done and say, I won this one, man. I did this thing, and a lot of you are there. You have some kind of goal, some kind of thing in your life, and it may even be multiple things, but you want to win. You want to win, and you want to win a significant goal. Now, that's one camp. The other camp are people that are kind of in a different place in their life. And these are people, people in camp two, are what I would describe as chasing a pleasure win. For whatever reason, they kind of, maybe they got tired, maybe they got angry, maybe they just gave up. But they've come to the place where these days, what they're really doing is they're just going after the next gratifying experience. They're going after the next thing that will make them feel good. Maybe it's the next place they eat out. Maybe it's the next movie they see, the next form of entertainment of some type, the next vacation they take, something like that. They're not looking to to accomplish anything huge or significant. They're just looking for the next gratifying experience. But do not miss this, folks. They are chasing that as their win. They're going after that thing. We are all chasing after these things. And that is their win. That's what they're working towards. So with that in mind, I want to start this little, we're just doing this little tiny mini-series in front of Easter because I want to provoke your thinking. I want to really get you thinking about this. And I want to just ask this question. With that in mind, you're chasing a win. You might be in camp one. It might be a significant one. It might be camp two. It might be more just gratifying uh, experiences that you're going after. But here's the question, and that is, what win are you working on? I want to make this personal. I'm, I'm asking you to think not about your husband or your wife or your kids or your parents or somebody else. What win are you working on? What wins? What are you going after? Can you be really honest? Would there be some here who would be honest? I'm not looking for any kind of response, okay, uh, audible or, or hand-raising, but there, would there be anybody that would be honest enough to say, I think maybe I've fallen into camp too. I think maybe these days, mostly what I'm doing is just chasing the next gratifying experience. I'm just going after that. What, when, are you working on? Or what series of wins? And I really want you to think about it. It doesn't matter your age, whether you're retired, whether you're a student, wherever you're at, the question stands, what are you trying to accomplish? And don't say nothing. I know some will be tempted to just say that. I'm not, I'm not working on any kind of win, dude. I'm not trying to do anything. Yes, you are. Truthfully, it's something you can't escape. It's just in us. I think it's a design thing. If you go all the way back to creation, to the book of Genesis where God makes man, look at how it describes it. Genesis chapter 1, verses 27 and 28, is God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. So he, he is a creator, and he created them in his, his image. So that makes them what? Creators. So he made them in his, his image, and God blessed them and said to them, Be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth, and would you read those next two words with me? Subdue it. Subdue it. Rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky and over every living creature that moves on the ground. It's as if God is saying, all right, here you go, Adam and Eve. This is yours. Now do something. Win at this. It is a design feature. It is in you. 
So everybody, let's just be clear on this, everybody's working towards a win. They can be vastly different. On the one end, it could be, I want to be the richest guy in the world. On the other end, it can be, I just want to get my head far enough in the sand that people will leave me alone and I don't want to be around anybody or whatever. But everybody's working on some kind of a win. Might be the next buzz that you get. It might be getting the house paid off. What is the win that you're working for? And here's the thing, whatever that is, you're getting closer to it all the time. And you will get there. But see, this raises the larger question. Is it really a win? In the end, is what you're doing, what you're going after, what you're seeking to accomplish, is it really, in the end, a true win? Because as we've already seen, so many of the things that we work towards, that we push our lives towards, they're not really, in the end, wins. It looks like I'm winning, but I'm really I'm just, I'm losing. I'm not getting there. I get great at some athletic endeavor. Or I, I get physically fit. I get myself in the place where I'm now in the kind of shape that I've always wanted to be in. Is that really a win? Is that really going to bring that sense of, yeah, I'm there. I saw the checkered flag. See, here's the deal, and this is what I want you to get. This is so important for you to understand. That no matter what win happens out there in my life, if I'm not winning in here, inside me, in my soul, it doesn't matter what that accomplishment out there is. If I'm not winning there, in here, even though I'm winning here, I am losing. And I don't want you to miss this because this is such a huge thing. And Jesus basically, he said it this way, and this is so powerful. He says, what good is it for someone to gain the whole world and yet forfeit their what? Say it out loud. All right, let's try to get like 15 people to say it. What good is it for someone to gain the whole world and yet forfeit their their soul? That which is inside you. Not your house. Not the accolades of people around you. Not that people say you're really something, but your soul, what's in you. I love the way the message paraphrase says it. It's like it says, what good would it do to get everything you want and lose you, the real you? What good does that do you? This is just huge. It's, the, the obvious implication is, is that if you're not moving the ball down the field inside, in your soul, if you're not growing who you are, no matter how nice your house is, no matter how padded your retirement funds are, no matter any of those things, it is not a win. Now, I want to share a thought with you that I, I really believe this, and I, you may not, you may disagree with it, but but I want, to, I want to just get you to think about it, or I just put it in a sentence. This is, this is it. Whatever I'm doing should always also be about what I'm becoming. You have projects. You have things you're engaged in your life. You go to work. You're doing all these different things. But whatever you are doing should always also be about what you are becoming, what is happening in here. And here's the problem where so many of us live our lives is that we're busy, we're frantic, we're doing this and I got to do this and I got to do this. And we're winning those things. We think the checkered flag is waving for us. But in here, we are not advancing. We are not growing. We're not building our hearts. We're not growing on the inside. And if we are not doing that, we are losing. Let me say it again. Whatever I'm doing should always be about, also be about what I am becoming. 
It should start on the inside. It actually should start on the inside and work out. You know, that's what I love about baptisms. You know what baptisms are? They are the, they are the perfect example, in my opinion, of what I'm talking about. Baptism is an inside-out action. It is something that comes as a result of going, I know I need God. I know I'm lost without him, and I realize that he loves me, and he gave his life for me. He loves me so much, he went all in for me, and so I'm going to go all in for him. So then I step up as a result of the inside thing, and I say, I want the world to know. I'm going to be baptized. I'm going to go under the water and come up out saying this, I am all in for God. That is a win. And while I'm saying it, I will just tell you that in a few weeks, we're going to actually do baptisms at Middleville and in Hastings at the end of this month, actually on the 27th and 28th, on the, a Saturday night here, the weekend after Easter, and then a Sunday morning. We'll be doing baptisms right in here. And so, those of you who are part of the church family, you know that we have the most beautiful baptism tank you've ever seen. It is so ornate and amazing for a horse trough. It's beautiful, all right? And if you've not been baptized... You call the office, go online to our website, go out to the next step area, sign up, be baptized. That, that baptism is a win because it's something that comes from the inside out. See, too often what's happened is that we're working on a win. We're doing this. We're accomplishing this. We're going after stuff. It's not bad stuff. You've got to get a paycheck. I mean, I've got to get this schooling done. If I don't get my studies done, if I don't get decent grades, I'm not going to get a good job or I'm not going to be able to advance to the next school that I want to go to or whatever it is. We've got all these things happening in our lives, and they're not bad things. They're actually good things. But because we're so caught up in those, we've lost sight of making sure that what we are doing, no matter what it is, should not just just be about that. It should always also be about what's happening inside me, about what I'm becoming. And I know, I, I mean, this is what I know. I look out on a group here, and I just think to myself, you, you all, every, every one of you, this is our lives, even retired people. You just, cra- you got so much going. There's so much you can do, so many things to, to grab your attention and to keep you busy and go after stuff. I mean, I talk to retired people on a regular basis because everybody thinks I should be retired. I look so old, they're always like, you're still working? How do you even do that? And so I have these conversations all the time. But it's interesting because I'll talk to somebody who's retired, and I hear this almost all the time. I, know, I don't even know how I had time to work. My life's just over the top, so full of stuff. I'm just doing, doing, doing all the time, crazy doing. I know you're, you're, you're doing, you're doing, you're doing, and it's not a bad thing. But don't forget that if you're not advancing the ball down the field inside your heart, you are not winning and you are not going to win. Because a win is something that comes from the inside and then it comes out. And this is absolutely critical to understand. So as we approach Easter, our idea was just to kind of provoke you. Are you really winning? Are you growing what you, you are, what you're becoming on the inside? Or are you just accomplishing? Well, I, pick up, you know, I got this list today. My gosh, my to-do list is this long, and I got all these things. I got to pick up the kids and take them here. I got to do this. I got to do that. What are you becoming in the middle of all that? Because in the end, that's not the win. The win is what's happening inside of you. What good does it do you to gain the whole world and yet forfeit your what? Your soul. Your soul. And this is so important to understand. So, The idea is just to challenge you. I mean, you think about it. What caused Jesus 
We're approaching Easter now where we celebrate this glorious thing called the resurrection. What caused him to go through the things in the week preceding that that were so unbelievably brutal most people could never dream of taking it? The abandonment of his own people, the betrayal by one of his own disciples, the beatings, the ridicule, the pain, ultimately being put on a cross and offering his life for the sacrifice of all mankind so that they could now come back to God. What caused him to endure all of that so that he could come to the day where he rose from the dead and he paid for the sins of the world and brought us so that we could come back to God and walk with God. What caused him to get through that stuff? You already know the answer to that. It was not just saying, well, I put my head down and I just work. It was what was in him. That's what brings you through the things that are painful and difficult and hard. And if you're not advancing who you are inside, you are not advancing. Let me just tell you what you're going to see in in people who are real winners, who win a life. You're going to see this consistently in them, and you're going to see it in an ongoing way, not with perfection, but you're going to see these two things, and these are so powerful. You're going to see in them, number one, love, and then number two, you're going to see humility. You're going to see them loving God and loving people, and you're going to see them understanding and always remembering who they are and who they are not. Amen? Love and humility. See, when you come right down to it, of all the stuff that you accomplish in your life, all the things that you do, you want to know what really matters? You want to know what really makes a difference in the end? It is not your remodeled kitchen. I mean, it may be awesome, but it is not that. And sometimes we get so lost in this stuff, and I I think remodeled kitchens are great. I'm not against them. I'm saying that's not a win. Win is what you're becoming inside. What's happening in you? Are you living with love? You know, some people came to Jesus and said, can you just tell us, could you boil it all down? What really matters, what really counts, what's really most important? And Jesus' response is classic. I've quoted this, this portion of Scripture so many times in our church, but I'm coming back to it again. Jesus replied, he said, you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. And never, in other words, love God with everything in you. He says, this is the first and what? Greatest commandment. It is the greatest commandment. But then he said a second is equally important. You love your neighbor as yourself. The entire law, all the demands of the prophets are based on these two commandments, that you, number one, love God, and number two, love people. He says, if you want to boil it all down in your life, what makes you a winner is not all the trappings on the outside. It is, do you love God, and do you love? Okay, let's try it again. Do you love God, and do you love? People. You're going to see this in people who are winners. They may not have as much money as somebody else. They may not have the nest egg for retirement. They may not have the nice house. They may not have, they may, I mean, they may be so different. But if they're true winners, you're going to see this over and over in them that they love, they love, they love, they love people. And it's not even if they do good things. It's that they actually love people. Paul wrote this. I think this is one of the most beautiful descriptions of what it really means to live a life as a winner. He says, if I gave everything I have to the poor, even sacrificed my body, I could boast about it. But if I didn't love others, I would have gained nothing. No win, no victory, even though I did all these good things. In the end, winning is not simply about the deeds you do. It is about your soul. Are you growing your heart? And I just want you to 
Think about this. In all your busyness and all the chaos and activity that you have in your life, are you working on your soul? I think it's a fair question. Are you working on your soul? Are you loving even when it's not easy? Are you forgiving? Are you, are, 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 you, are you going for the true checkered flag or are you rushing past people and, and running over them because you're on about the next project? And I think this is, so, this is so hard. I think we have to ask ourselves this question on a regular basis. Am I working on my soul or just a project? Am I working on my soul or am I just doing another project? See, I think the key is to understand that I should always be about both. Do your project. Remodel the house. You know, get great grade students. Join the clubs. Do all the good stuff. That's all cool. But you work on your soul while you're doing it. You remember that the most important thing that you will ever do in your life is that you will love God and you will what? You will love people. And when you love people, and I had a number of points I was going to share with this, but I'm, I'm just going to keep this pretty simple, folks. I, when you really, when you, when you love people, let me, let me tell you what real winners do. They love people, but this is what they do. This is, this, is, this is maybe the primary thing they do, is real winners see people. Now, I know some of you are going, I see people all the time. I look around right now. I see people. All right, come on, roll with me here, all right? I'm talking about something way beyond that. Real winners, people that live with love in their life, that are working on their soul, they understand that they don't go through life bumping people out of their way to get the next project done. That the high calling in their life is that they see, they notice, and they care about the people around them. They actually see them. And this is one of the things that a chaotic culture demeans more and more, and that is that we get on to the next thing so we can get that next car, we can get that next whatever it is. We got all these things we got to go after. And what we're doing as we rush into these things, we're, we're in the fast lane, we're going places, is that we stop seeing people around us. We got the project done, but we stopped seeing people, and so we didn't really win. We have to work at this. We have to we have to work at this constantly, and we won't be perfect at it, but real winners are constantly stopping and saying, look, all right, I'm in the, busy of a very, in the middle of a very busy time. i got all this stuff going. Am I actually seeing the people around me? Or do I just brush past them? Do I bump them out of the way so I can get the next thing done? Am I actually seeing them? thinking about them. Maybe my project won't get done as quickly. Maybe something won't happen like I wanted to, but am I there? You know, sometimes I'll hear people say, I, I actually heard this yesterday. Was, God, I just want to know what's my purpose? What's my calling in life? Some of you may have said that. You may think, I wish I knew what God's calling on my life was so that I could fulfill that. Can I sound so arrogant as to say, I think I know. It is number one to love God and number two, say it out loud, Love people. I think that is your high calling. I think that is your high calling. I think that's your high calling as a dad. Is to make sure that you are not rushing through your days so fast that you don't see those little people around your feet that get in the way and you want to just get rid of them because you got so much to do. That is your high calling. 
And hear me on this. You do have to work at it. Some of you are better at this than others. Some of you, I think, almost have a gift at it. You just, you're one of those, you just walk, you, you see people, you notice people. It's like, I love guys like you and hate you at the same time. Because I'm just not like that. I'm, I'm the guy that bounces through a crowd of people and can get right through them and never see one of them. Anybody know what I'm talking about in here? You, okay, apparently it's all angels in this room, but it's pretty easy, really. But this is not about gifting. This is not about what's easy. This is about what the high calling is. I don't care how well I've ever acted as a pastor, how much people think I do a good job at my job. In the end, my high calling is that I love God. Say it again, and I I love people. And that means I will see them. I will notice them, even if it's sacrificial in nature. Even if it's inconvenient. Jesus gives maybe the best literal illustration of this on the very night that one of his disciples would betray him and the rest would abandon him. He and his disciples are meeting together to observe the Passover meal. They've they've reserved a, a room upstairs in some place. And as they file up into this room, the disciples notice, no doubt, that unlike what usually should be there, because in that culture there would always be a servant there when you'd have a special meal together to wash the feet of all the people who were attending because you walk through those streets and they're dusty and they're filthy and you're wearing sandals and so your feet are dirty and it's not like you're sitting up on high chairs like we typically do. They'd be sitting down on the ground and they'd be sitting around together. And so there'd be somebody there to wash feet, but they got up there and apparently the stuff to wash feet was there, but nobody was there to do it. And the disciples walk in one after the other And not one of them said, hey, I'll do it, guys. Why would they? How demeaning is that? But then, and this wrecks me every time I read it, Jesus gets up, he takes off his outer garment, he puts a towel around his waist, and he grabs the foot-washing stuff, and he goes to his disciples and begins to wash their stinking, gnarled, filthy toes with toenails long enough to carve pumpkins, their heels that are dry and crusty. They're nasty. I mean, feet are nasty. They weren't doing manipedes back then, all right? Their feet were nasty. And Jesus, don't forget who he was, the creator of the universe, the creator of them, is down on the floor in front of them washing their feet. And, of course, they push back on him. They're like, no, no, Jesus, you can't do this. And Jesus said, no, no. I have to do this. And so they let him, and when he gets all done, he gets back up. And we're going to pick up and just read this in Scripture because this is so powerful. This is what it says. When he'd finished washing their feet, he put his clothes on, and he returned to his place, and he said, Do you understand what I've done for you? You call me teacher and Lord, and rightly so, for that is what I am. He says, Now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also should wash one another's feet. I've set an example that you should do as I've done for you. You should wash each other's feet. Do you understand that Jesus was not instituting some religious ritual where we all have a foot washing ceremony and we have to pull our feet out and and wash feet? It wasn't about that. What it was about is is that you notice people. You notice when they're broken and they're dirty and they need help. And you see them and you be willing to get down and do whatever it takes to help 
them because of all the things, the greatest, most important things that you will ever do in the world, it is you are to love God and love people. You are to love God and love people. Nothing actually matters more than that. Nothing. And I just, I mean, I don't even know how to do it. I just, I just, I just hope you can hear this. As you go into 2019, you know, we're first quarter in and all that, but you go through the rest of it. What's a checkered flag for you? What is the checkered flag for you? Did you get a project done? Did you get more work accomplished? Did you make more money? All those things are good, but that's not the checkered flag. Come on. The checkered flag is when you love God and what? You love people. You notice them. Folks, that, this is why I love life groups, small groups. We call them life groups. That's why I love them so much. Because whether you're meeting in a, a coffee shop or a restaurant or someone's home or wherever, the, the reason I, I love them is because You've decided to take time out and just get together with a small group of people and you see them. You see them. You go to our student ministry, Fusion 412, and then they, they get into small groups at one point in their time together and you, you see the other students and you're seen. So in the chaos and busyness of your life, and I know there's a ton of it, Here's what I hope you'll do. Maybe over the next couple weeks, you don't have to do this. I know some of you are going to leave it on the chair. You're going to throw it away or whatever. But I hope some of you will take this flag, put it in your car somewhere, or put it on the mirror by where you put your makeup on, or somewhere where you see it, and just let it remind you, am I really winning? Am I loving God? Am I loving people? Or am I just working on a project? Because what matters in the end is what's going on in here. So what's, you know, what, what's God speaking to you? What do you think you're hearing from God? Is it possible that, that he's calling you to something it's a little different than what it is these days. Maybe God's saying it's time to move out of camp too where you're just going after the next gratifying experience, the next pleasure. It's time to step up and go after something bigger. Maybe he's speaking to you about a person in your life at work or at school that you won't even look at these days. You, you, they're so disgusting to you, you can't even look at their face and you avoid them and you treat them like garbage. And maybe as God's saying, Hey, I died for them too. So I want you to look at them. See them. So while we've been going through the season of Lent, we've been taking time, each service, just, just a minute, whatever, just to be quiet and to listen for God to speak to us. Each week we've been adding a plant over here just as a reminder to us that when we hear from God, something in us begins to, to blossom, to grow. 
And so we're going to do that right now. And the band's going to play for a minute or I don't know how long it is. Then we'll sing a song and we'll be done. Will you listen? Will you listen for what God's saying? That you might actually see the checkered flag and really win. So now, Holy Spirit, we say come. We say come into this place. Sweep across our hearts. Help us to be open. And together we say, speak, Lord. Your servants are listening.